Nice to have you with me on a Friday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast, July 16th. Yeah, July 16th. And we have a lot to talk about today, some pretty good sports topics to talk about. And I'm excited about the faith topic. I'm Bruce Hooley. Thanks for joining. You can email the show, wetacklelife at gmail.com. Wetacklelife at gmail.com. Reviews on iTunes would be deeply appreciated. Five-star reviews uh, more than any other would be appreciated. But I do want to know what you think of the podcast and the content, and uh, particularly if the faith portion at the end of the podcast is personally strengthening to you. That's why I do it. Uh, because it holds me accountable and hopefully uh, provides some instruction and some inspiration to all of you. Before we get into uh, the NBA Finals 2-2, pivotal game five tonight, Bryson DeChambeau, wow, at the British Open, uh, Tom Brady, as if he needed it, a reason for the legend to grow, and the memorial service for Blue Jackets goaltender Matisse Kivlenix. Let me shout out my friends at auiinfo.com. Boy, they're great. Chrissy's amazing. Uh, leadership is everything in business, in life, in ministry, in sports. auiinfo.com has a phenomenal, transformative leader in Chrissy. And if you affiliate with auiinfo.com and allow them to do for your small business all the things they can do, which is provide free, I said it, it's true, free expertise on providing benefits for your employees health, vision, dental, disability, and free HR counseling. How can they do it free? Well, they're paid by the people that you select as a business owner to provide those benefits for your employees. Uh, you'll obviously pay for the benefits, but the people who provide the benefits to you, whether it's Aetna or Nationwide or some other insurance company, uh, those companies pay AUI. But Chrissy's leadership, her innovation, uh, she is looking for uh, business owners to network with. Let me find that email and uh, ask uh, you guys to help her out in this endeavor because it's just instructive of how she's always endeavoring to do more for her clients. You don't use auiinfo.com and then never hear from them again. No, they stay in touch with you. They stay on top of it, and they provide amazing counseling, guidance, and insight into what you're doing with a small business that you know, is a challenge to run. So get with auiinfo.com on the web. You can put your questions into the chat. They'll respond immediately, and you'll find out what I already know, which is auiinfo.com is amazing. Your small business can be two people. That's uh, small. They have 17 people, so they can uh, certainly provide that, that uh, guidance and instruction that you need that's so valuable, save you money, and give you more knowledge than you already have. All right, let's start with Matisse Kivlenix, the uh, very unfortunate story of the Blue Jackets goaltender's death on July the 4th at a party at the home of Blue Jackets goalie coach Manny Legacy, the former Detroit Red Wings uh, goalie. So it's uh, in Michigan. Matisse Kivlenix is there. Uh, Elvis Merzlikens is there, another Blue Jackets goaltender. Merzlikens' wife is pregnant. Uh, Merzlikens said yesterday at the memorial service that Kivlenix saved many lives at this party. Uh, we still don't have a lot of clarity. Um, my guess is that this is um, the uh, the kindest way to remember Matisse Kivlenix. I don't know that when a firework goes off and heads in a stray direction that anybody has an opportunity to really understand process knowledge in the moment, step in front of it like you would you know, make a conscious decision, a purposeful decision to step in front of a bullet. But the point is that you know, Matisse uh, Kivlenix gave his life uh, in a 
very random and uh, very unfortunate circumstance that had that firework not struck him in the chest, could well have struck someone else and killed them. So I fully understand uh, the grief and the heroic uh, way that the Blue Jackets want to portray Matisse Kivlenix. And I don't in any way mean to say that he was not uh, heroic. I would just love to hear more details if, in fact, he did make a purposeful decision to stand in front of someone and protect them. But this young man touched so many lives, and the hope that I have for him is that he knew Jesus as a Savior uh, because that is what decides a person's eternal destiny. But uh, very sad to see a young life snuffed out. We've seen so much of that in Columbus this summer. It is so incredibly sad, and uh, the randomness of life underscores the importance that today is the day of salvation and that you never should put off determining your own eternal destiny by accepting Christ as your Savior. So uh, just a heartbreaking situation for the Blue Jackets that they lose what, by all accounts, was a wonderful, wonderful young man in such a random and tragic way. Uh, The uh, Game 5, decisive Game 5 often of the NBA Finals is tonight, Phoenix and Milwaukee. Um, I don't break down NBA basketball anymore because I don't care about NBA basketball anymore. They've driven me away with... um, their politics and their um, clouding of the game with uh, other matters. I will say this from watching it. My my wife is from Phoenix, okay? So I've always been a Suns fan, even before I knew Sherry. I was a Suns fan going way back to the Van Arsdale twin days and the Gar Hurd days and the Charles Barkley days and the Jason Kidd days. I've just always liked the Suns, Dan Marley and... Uh, Tom Chambers. I mean, I've always liked the Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns are the legacy team in Phoenix. I've spent a lot of my time in Phoenix. Those of you who know me know I spent about six weeks a year out there at Christmas and summertime because I met my wife in the Phoenix area. And uh, we go back to see her family. So the Valley of the Sun, as it's known, has grown much over the years, including the acquisition of the St. Louis Cardinals football team now is the Arizona Cardinals and the expansion Arizona Diamondbacks. The first year Sherry and I were married, the Diamondbacks won the World Series in a thrilling seven-game win over the Yankees, uh, which prompted the Buster Olney book, The Last Night of the Yankee Dynasty. So I have an affinity for and an affection for Phoenix, and I'd be happy to see the Suns win the NBA Finals. So I say all that because I did watch it the other night. My kids and wife just returned from the Phoenix area. And obviously, their cousins are all in on the Suns, which I would expect them to be. And so they watched the finals out there. And since they've commenced, they want to continue to watch them. So we had it on at my house the other night. I watched it for like five minutes, and it was just torture because (laughs) NBA basketball is just unwatchable. Not for politics reasons. It's just, it's nothing but layups, dunks, and three-pointers. Layups, dunks, and three-pointers. And I was invested in 2016 when LeBron and the Cavs won the championship um, because I was working in Cleveland at the time, and that was a great story, and I you know, was all in on that. But I don't know what they could do to make NBA basketball more, un- more watchable. It would have to become more like basketball. Like I like college basketball a lot because it's actual basketball. They call traveling. They're mid-range jumpers. They play defense. And it's not just, it looks to me like when guys are playing NBA basketball, they're so skilled, 
that either the ball needs to be bigger <laughs> so they can't just handle it like a grapefruit, the, f- the court needs to be wider, the lane needs to be wider, the basket needs to be higher, and they need to police the actual rules of the game. In the five minutes that I watched the other night, I saw, and I'm not kidding, five blatant traveling violations go uncalled. Blatant traveling violations. Like, that's it's just unwatchable, NBA basketball. If you know the rules of basketball, you're like, hey, you can't do that. Oh, well, he's a, Devin Booker can do it because he's Devin Booker. Or Giannis Antetokounmpo can do it because he's, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's just, to me, unwatchable. I don't enjoy it at all. And uh, the randomness of this is called once, but it's not called the next time or whatever. Just, bleh. I just want to throw up watching NBA basketball. And I'm sure some of it is that I don't have a <laughs> a real kind viewpoint toward it anymore uh, because of the politics. But, man, it's unwatchable. Okay. Uh, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters coffee is very drinkable, though. And... If you're not drinking it, you're missing out on great coffee. And it's not just great coffee. It's great coffee from great people doing great things around the world. When you patronize HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com and use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps, you are helping the people in countries like Indonesia, Thailand, um, Nicaragua, and other foreign countries Do great things in those communities. We're going to talk about ministry at the end of this podcast today. They're doing ministry amid their business. And Paul and Grace and Andy and all the other people at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters in Mechanicsburg, Ohio, are combining ministry with their vocation and with their business. And they're doing great things uh, by allowing the growers to gain more from their coffee operations, which they then take bounty from their work. They invested in kingdom-oriented things. So you can feel good about the cause, you can feel good about the coffee, and you can feel good about furthering something good in the world when you patronize HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. They have many different flavors. Spiels, as you know, love the Hunter's Blend and the House Blend and the uh, Jamaica Me Crazy. Uh, Java Blues is a very uh, uh, well-liked flavor that they have. Uh, go to their website, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Just make sure when you order. And by the way, they make cocal chocolate, too, out of a coffee crop, uh, the, a cover crop for coffee that shades the plant, allows it to produce better beans. And by the way, each bean is picked hand-picked. Uh, but their cocal chocolate is non-GMO, sugar-free, gluten-free, uh, keto-friendly. It's everything you want. And it's good, by the way. I love putting a square of that on my tongue in the morning and just letting it evaporate and uh, getting a little dark chocolate-type taste in my mouth and a little pick-me-up to start my day. So the chocolate, the tea, the coffee, everything from HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com is great. You will love it, and I appreciate their sponsorship very much. And your continued ordering via the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps to get 15% off. The Open Championship is taking place at Royal St. George's. I picked Louis Eustazen the other day, and Louis on the leaderboard. He's about ready to tee off in round two, half hour away as I record this on Friday morning. But the story of yesterday's first round was not anybody high on the leaderboard. It was of Bryson DeChambeau. Wow! Bryson DeChambeau's an interesting cat, different guy. All his clubs are the same length. He's Mr. Analytics. He, you know, processes in his mind the science of golf, the, you know, 
coefficient of restitution he talks about when whether he leaves the flag in or not. Bryson DeChambeau's a different guy, and golf's a very traditional game, and Bryson's way of doing things has not always been highly uh, embraced. You know he and Brooks Kepka have a thing going. But I've never seen a golfer turn on his equipment company the way Bryson DeChambeau did yesterday. He hit four of 14 fairways. Now, Bryson DeChambeau hits a five-degree driver, so it has five degrees of loft on it, and he swings that thing about 200 miles an hour. Um Amazing swing speed. Bryson DeChambeau's added weight. He's looked at the science of golf, and he's determined, you know, duh, the farther I hit it, the better chance I have of winning. And so he can hit it farther than anybody, but he has to keep it in play, and he didn't yesterday, and so he shot one over. I think it's a remarkable score for as bad as he hit it off the tee. Just to bring this down to a bit of brevity, he said after his after his round, that his driver, and he plays Cobra equipment. He is far and away the most prominent player on the tour who plays Cobra. I'm sure there are others. Nobody plays clubs like Bryson DeChambeau because nobody else plays one-length irons. So Bryson DeChambeau is very important to Cobra, and Cobra has moved heaven and earth to keep Bryson DeChambeau happy because he helps him sell a lot of golf clubs. And when he wins the U.S. Open like he did two years ago, it helps Cobra's business, but it does not help Cobra's business when Bryson DeChambeau hits it all over the place at Royal St. George's and comes in after the round and says, and I quote, the driver sucks. <laughs> what? Yes, he said that. And he talked about, you know, they've tried and tried and tried for years, and he painted Cobra like this uh, company that's just floundering around to give him a club that he can hit and control. Well, Bryson brings a bunch of challenges to the table. When you swing it as fast as he does, and clubs, the drivers are made uh, of different portions. The face, uh, the, the back of the driver, the bottom of the driver. These are all composite materials that are highly scientific in how they are combined to deliver the best products. Not like they used to do, take a block of wood, carve it out, there's your driver. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau is old school, but he's not going to hit a persimmon driver because he wants the best performance. And so Cobra has moved heaven and earth, as I said. They've marshaled their engineering. They've done everything they can say and do to get Bryson DeChambeau happy with his equipment. Well, he clearly wasn't happy with his equipment yesterday. He said it, and boy, did Cobra fire back. Their chief engineer said this of Bryson's characterization that their driver sucks. He said, it's really, really painful when he says something that stupid. Bryson has never really been happy, ever. Like, it's rare, very rare, when he's happy. I know that if I got him cornered right now and said, what the H-E double toothpicks did you say that for? He would say that he was mad. He really didn't mean to say it that harshly. He knows how much everyone <laughs> bends over backwards for him, but it's still not cool. So uh, they ripped Bryson, called him a basically a petulant child. Another quote from Cobra's top engineer. Everybody's looking for a magic bullet. Well, the magic bullet becomes harder to find the faster you swing and the lower your loft gets. Uh, so, wow. Uh, and they basically said he's like a kid who tells their mom or dad, I hate you, but they know 
the kid doesn't really hate them. So Bryson had to apologize after the round. Uh, he said, the comment I made in my post-round interview was very unprofessional. My frustration and emotions over the way I drove the ball today boiled over. I suck today, not my equipment. Cobra and I have worked together for over five years, and they're some of the hardest-working people in the golf industry, and they make an incredible product. Their team is like family to me, especially Ben. Ben's the engineer who ripped him, who's been there for me every step of the way since I started my career. I deeply regret the words I used earlier. I am relentless in the pursuit of improvement and perfection. Part of that causes me to become outwardly frustrated at times. With the new speeds I'm obtaining, my game is a constant work in progress, and so is controlling my emotions. Yeah. Yeah. He needs more work on that. I've never seen a golfer light up his equipment provider like that. Uh, Brandel Chambly, after the round, said, if I were Cobra, I wouldn't let him play my equipment next week. Eh. Forgive and forget. Extend a little. Uh, well, forgive. You're not going to forget. But extend some grace there. Brando Shambly. And uh, but wow, that was eye opening. We'll see how DeShambo plays today. My guess is if he hits 10 out of 14 fairways, he'll shoot three or four under, and all will be forgiven. So that would be a great story if he came back to win the open. But as I said, I'm rooting for Louie and in the Bryson Brooks feud. I like Kepka over Bryson in this particular tournament. All right, final sponsor read goes to my buddies at Willow Spangler Starling. Great people. All the partners love them. They're awesome. You're looking for a great attorney firm, one with wide-ranging expertise, one with um, uncompromising commitment to integrity and character. You're looking for Willis Spangler Starling. Employment law nowadays is really a minefield because you got employers making all kinds of demands, vaccine-related, mask-related, this, that, and the other-related um, so make sure you're protected. If you find anything that is of somewhat of a question to you, yeah, Willis Spangler Starling will give you a free consultation over the phone. Do they take cases on contingency? Sure. Sometimes they do. Uh, they're not looking to gouge you. They're looking to protect you. They're looking to shepherd you through the process, protect your legal rights, and make sure that uh, nothing amiss happens. So I would I do trust them impeccably. They look at my contracts. They look at everything I have that could possibly introduce any kind of a legal jackpot. I asked them a question just this Tuesday, and they, as always, gave me a prompt and accurate answer. So if you're looking for an attorney firm in central Ohio, just north of Mill Run on Truman Boulevard, you will find what you're looking for at Willis Spangler Starling. Find their website online at willisattorneys.com, Attorneys. Dot com. All right, a little story from the NFL, uh, two stories actually. Uh, Tom Brady played the entire season last year with a torn MCL, a torn medial collateral ligament. So, as if the legend of Brady was not already chiseled in stone, the man played the season in a new town amid a pandemic when he couldn't get to know his uh, receivers like he wanted to. And took the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all the way to the Super Bowl and beat the favored Kansas City Chiefs. So there you go. Tommy Tommy B. back this year with a new knee, a better knee, a pristine knee, and uh, good luck to you, uh, NFL, trying to uh, neuter the legend that is Tom Brady. That's amazing. Now, on the opposite side of the spectrum, Richard Sherman. Cornerback, San Francisco 49ers. Spiels likes Richard Sherman. I've never been a Richard, a fan of Richard Sherman's 
anger and braggadocious nature. I just don't like chip-on-the-shoulder guy. Uh, let me say it this way. I like quiet chip-on-the-shoulder guy. If you're, Because uh, I'm, I'm not always quiet, but I am also somewhat chip-on-the-shoulder guy. If you tell me I can't do something, it deepens my resolve to do it. Chris played his NFL career uh, driven with a chip-on-the-shoulder attitude. Other players have certainly done that. Richard Sherman has done that. He And Richard Sherman's an amazing story. Let me say nice things about Richard Sherman, first of all. He was a wide receiver at Stanford. He became a cornerback uh, there. He was not particularly fond of Jim Harbaugh. Um, and he uh, became a great, great, great NFL cornerback. Um, won a Super Bowl with the Seattle Seahawks. Should have won another one if Pete Carroll had handed the ball to Marshawn Lynch on the goal line. But instead, he didn't. And Tom Brady got that Super Bowl ring. But uh, Richard Sherman is... The problem with being out of control, the problem with always the problem with trafficking and being out of control, the problem with using anger to motivate yourself is that, and I've found this in my own life, it's very hard to separate that from your personal life. And sometimes that anger spills over into your personal life, and the consequences of such are not good. Well, not not in this case the consequences, but the uh, circumstances are not good. As far as, circ- as far as consequences, Richard Sherman got the hometown athlete discount from King County District Court Judge Fa'a Moy Masiani, uh, who does not dispute that Richard Sherman, drunk, disorderly, and probably under the influence of some uh, crazy controlled s- substance, committed four, count them, four crimes, misdemeanor and gross misdemeanor criminal trespass in the second degree, malicious mischief in the third degree, both with domestic violence designations, and resisting arrest and driving under the influence of alcohol. That all sounds pretty serious to me. They could have charged him with felony residential burglary. They did initially, then that was not yet filed. They may decide that today. But The prosecutors asked for a $10,000 bail for Richard Sherman, which subject to the 10% rule would have made it a $1,000 bail, which to Richard Sherman is pocket change. And the judge let him off without any bail because he is, quote, according to the judge, a, and I quote, pillar of the community. Okay, great. So what does this pillar of the community do? Well, he left his home and his wife. He went to the home of his in-laws. He started pounding on the door, trying to break in. The father-in-law had to mace him through a crack in the door. Here's the ESPN account of what Richard Sherman did. Sherman was belligerent, had been drinking heavily, and had spoken of killing himself when he left his home in the Seattle suburb of Maple Valley late Tuesday, according to police reports. His wife called 911 to try to have police stop him. He was arrested early Wednesday, which means after midnight, when police said he crashed his car in a construction zone along a busy highway east of Seattle, so he imperiled other people, and then he tried to break into his in-law's home in the suburb of Redmond. His father-in-law, Raymond Moss, told officers that Sherman armed himself with a handgun. Excuse me, I'm sorry. The father-in-law told officers that the father-in-law armed himself with a handgun and fired pepper spray at Richard Sherman to protect the father-in-law's family 
as Sherman tried to bust in the door with his shoulder. Here's a quote from the father-in-law. My family began to yell in fear. I used pepper spray on Sherman's face through the partially open door as he was still banging and attempting to gain entry. I told him to stop. I armed myself with a handgun at this time, fearing for the safety of myself and my family. Then the story on ESPN continues. Officers were cautious about arresting Sherman. Of course they were, uh, because he would have screamed, you know, bloody murder, racial profiling and all that. Uh, Officers were cautious about arresting Sherman because of his size, strength, and belligerence, according to police reports released Thursday. Sherman displayed, here's a quote, severe mood swings and slurred speech, had bloodshot, watery eyes, and had the odor of intoxicants emitting from his person. Sherman told authorities he was upset over his children being taken from him. Wow, why would your kids be taken from you, Richard Sherman? as you display such pillar-in-the-community behavior. I mean, obviously, it was justified. This guy's unstable. Officers could not use a taser because they worried about igniting whatever chemical Sherman's father-in-law sprayed him with and could not fire a beanbag round because they were too close to him. Instead, they released a police dog, which bit Richard Sherman's ankle and caused a minor cut as other officers wrestled with him on the ground. Okay, so all this talk we hear about cops are, you know, targeting people of certain ethnicities, that they show no patience, they show no attempt to de-escalate. It sure appears to me they tried to de-escalate this, and Richard Sherman is a very fortunate young man, because he is a young man still. Uh, He's old by NFL standards, but he's still a young man that he did not cause himself to be severely injured by this. And for the judge to not ca- not even charge him with bond that he easily could have paid is ridiculous and shows how much favoritism is played toward professional athletes in this particular instance. I am appalled because no regular person, none, zero, zip nada, would have been given that amount of favorable treatment by the authorities in Seattle, which has become a hellhole to live in because of this just this kind of viewpoint of unruly, dysfunctional, and um, horrific behavior. So that's what I have to say about Richard Sherman, who is a chief knucklehead and clearly needs help. You know, he clearly needs psychological help. Uh, because he's out of control. He's going to harm himself. He's going to hurt somebody else. And I certainly don't want that to happen. Okay. So, um, with all of that said, and um, we have reached a point of uh, time where we transition into the faith portion of the podcast. And today's faith portion, <clears throat> I'm excited about because I really feel like God put something on my heart this morning and fit the pieces of the puzzle together for me to hopefully be um, in a position to state a message that will resonate with you as you approach your weekend and approach the uh, next few days, weeks, months of your life. I am an aficionado of the movie The Blues Brothers. I, I, uh, I just think that's a it's a funny movie. It's uh, clever. I enjoy the music in the movie. I have the soundtrack. It's an ancient movie. Uh, B- 
John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, the Blues Brothers. This was an act they concocted on Saturday Night Live because apparently they both liked, you know, uh, classic blues music, Chicago blues. Uh, they're both, I think, Chicago guys, Second City guys, trafficked their way to uh, Second City success, then to Saturday Night Live success. And what's the signature line of the movie, those of you who know, from the Blues Brothers? We're on a mission from God, right? We're on a mission from God. It was, it was a funny line. It's uh, it's a great, you know, it's a it's a it's a guilty pleasure movie. So, uh, in that vein, we're on a mission from God. I want to explore that because we all are called to be on a mission from God. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul talks about the price Jesus paid on the cross to redeem all of us. And he notes, and this is a quote from 2 Corinthians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 15. And he, Jesus, died for all that those who live should no longer... <clears throat> Excuse me. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So in other words, he died for us so that we could be redeemed, but we're not supposed to take the redemption, forgiveness, uh, restoration, salvation that we have from Christ at the cross and, and live for ourselves. We're supposed to live for him. What does that mean, to live for him? I think there's a very good example of the fact that God has a unique mission for each one of us, that he has given each of us gifts and talents, and then has a mission, a purpose for each one of us in our lives. This is underscored in Mark 5 by the story of the demon-possessed man who Jesus encounters in a graveyard. This man was called legion because he was possessed by a legion, a lot of demons. Jesus heals him of those demons. He orders the demons out of the man. He orders the demons into a herd of pigs on a hillside. The pigs rush down the hillside into um, the sea and drown. And as you can imagine, this man was eternally grateful for this and wanted to show his gratitude to Jesus by following Jesus wherever he went in his ministry. And he, the Bible says in Mark 5, begged to go with Jesus. And then Mark 5 says this, but Jesus did not let him. And he said to the man, go home and tell your family how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. This was that man's mission. Jesus clearly defined it for him. He was to go home and tell his family about the mercy God had had on him. Now, imagine yourself as a family member, brother, sister, father, wife, husband, uh, yeah, uh, not husband, brother, sister, father, mother, wife of this demon-possessed man. Imagine in that era the shame that would have come with, you know, they're the parents of that crazy dude in the cemetery. Don't go near that guy. He's whacked. He'll, he's liable to, like, 
strangle you, kill you, bite you, harass you, whatever. The shame of being a family member of that man would have been enormous. And if you have any uh, passing familiarity with the Bible, you may know that people in that era used to look upon people who were afflicted with leprosy or blindness or whatever as if that was a punishment from God for some sin in your life. So the people of that day in that town might have looked at the parents, the wife, the brother, the sister of this demon-possessed man and thought, boy, oh boy, they really got some horrendous thing going on with God because he's punishing them by making their brother, their uh, husband, their son, that evil, crazy dude in the cemetery. So there would have been a great deal of shame and um, guilt associated with being a family member of this demon-possessed man. But Jesus said, I know you want to come and follow me, and I appreciate that you're grateful for all that I've just done for you, but your mission is to go and witness to your family about the goodness of God and about the way that healing is available, restoration is available, rest, you know, the, the kingdom of God is here, and I need you, and that's your mission. You go tell your family, because then how many people are going to be blessed by that? There was somebody in that guy's family who needed to hear the message of the gospel from that demon-possessed man. It's the only thing that would have gotten through to them. They would have known about his years of torment, about his reputation, and about the shame that had been associated with them because of their association with him. What better vessel, what better testimony to the redeeming power of Jesus' love could there have been to that man's family than the man himself? There are so many times in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs and many other places, where God makes clear the necessity to accept and execute the mission that he has for each one of our lives. Here's just a few examples. The verse, to whom much is given, much is expected. The parable of the sower. Are you good soil, the kind that produces a crop many times in excesses of in excess of the seed sown? Or are you rocky soil, where once the gospel falls upon your life, it sprouts up quickly, flourishes for a while, you're running hot, full of the love of Jesus, ready to tell others about it, ready to demonstrate it, and then, oh, work comes in, and maybe prosperity comes in, and that boat, or that golf membership, or that vacation, or that car, all of a sudden, you kind of lose your fervor, and you start coasting again. And what has happened is, the cares and bounties of this life have inserted themselves in your life, and they've in the parable of the sower, it's, it's portrayed as chokes the plant and makes it die. Is your service for Christ being choked and dying because of the fact that you've lost your fervor? Um, another time, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He doesn't say that, you know, most, most times you think about, when I talk to a farmer, I'm like, well, how are the crops doing this year? And there's, a, there's an unknown as to whether there's going to be a good harvest or not. Jesus says the harvest of the gospel, it's not a problem with the harvest, not a problem with the crop, not a problem with it growing, not a problem with the seed. problem is I don't have enough workers to gather the harvest. 
So he needs workers. He needs more salespeople. He needs more brand ambassadors. He needs more people willing to work overtime for him, to be on call for him 24-7, 365. You know, we got a situation now in our world in America where people are getting extended unemployment benefits or have for a while, and we've got every place in the world hiring and very few people going out trying to get jobs. Why? Why are they not going out trying to get jobs? Because they're comfortable. Well, if you're not working for Jesus, is it because you're comfortable? What's it going to take for you to get engaged, to do his work, to do his will, to accept the purpose, the mission that he has for you? Does he need to make you uncomfortable? Does he need to take something away? Because he will. He can. He might. I don't want that for you. He doesn't want that for you. He's given you those things as gifts to augment your abilities. But if you're not going to use them, if you're going to bury them, like the guy with the one talent who buried it and didn't do anything with it, Jesus is looking for people like the guy with the ten talents that he gave to, who, well, he didn't. It's a parable, but you know, the story of the, of the talents, he gave uh, the, 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 the rich man, the, the, the king, gave 10 talents to one servant, and the servant went out and worked it and made 10 more. And what did he hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. What did the guy who got five who made five more hear? Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. I've given you five, now I'm going to give you more. And the guy with the one's like, oh, I was afraid I was going to screw it up. I knew you were a tough taskmaster. I just buried it in the ground, so here's your one talent. And the person who gave him the talent said, you wicked servant. You knew I was a tough taskmaster. You did nothing with it. You buried it in the ground. You didn't, even have, you didn't even show the fortitude to go put it in the bank and draw interest on it. Get out of here. I don't even want to see you anymore. I tossed him out into the outer darkness. Is that what, 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 what I'm doing? I did that for a long time with the gifts and talents Jesus gave me. I'm not going to do it anymore because I can't. I don't have any peace with myself when I do that. So you got to get to work. you got to accept your mission. you got to execute your purpose. you got to use the gifts and talents that God has given you. And you have to accept the ministry that he's given you. Legion, the guy healed of all the demons, really wanted to get in a boat with Jesus and become one of the disciples and follow him all the way to the Jer- Jerusalem and all the way to the cross. We don't know what happened to that guy after uh, Jesus left him, after healing him of his demons. But my guess is he went home where Jesus told him to go, and he told everybody in his family about being healed of those demons. And won't it be cool, won't it be cool in the afterlife to get the context of that story, to hear how many other people came to Christ, came to faith, because of that man healed of his demons who went home and did what Jesus told him to do. Who's Jesus telling you to talk to? Who's Jesus telling you to model obedience to? Who is Jesus prompting you, pushing you, um, elevating opportunities for you to demonstrate or outwardly share the gospel? Only you know the answer to that. Only you know the answer to that. Um, But you know in your heart what you're being asked to do, and you also know that God will equip you with the abilities to do it, and he will prosper the seed that you sow. So that is my encouragement to you as I end the podcast today. It is a great way to live. It is a fulfilling mission to accept 
And it is our call out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, making a way to be in fellowship and communion with him and the Heavenly Father uh, for all time. And our acceptance of that mission will decide what we hear at the end of time, whether we will hear, um, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. I should say that it does not determine that. What it does, because Jesus, only Jesus' sacrifice determines that. But, for instance, you want to show up in heaven with no service to God to present to him in gratitude for what he has done for you? Would you show up at a wedding with no gift? (laughs) Would you? When you go to a graduation party, do you take a card to indicate your good wishes for the graduate? Do you give them money? Do you give them a gift? Like, you don't want to show up at the end of time. A lot of people think, oh, I got salvation, I'm good. Well, salvation should compel you to offer your sacrifice to God in gratitude for that. So again, only Jesus can give you salvation. You don't earn it, but you can certainly indicate your appreciation for it and full understanding of it with your service back to him. And look at what you're denying people. If you don't fulfill your purpose, your mission, then the people you're supposed to be speaking to, you're not doing your job, and they're never going to come to faith, and that's going to be on you. I don't want that on my conscience, and I don't think you do either. So with that, go forth this weekend. Have a great weekend. Be bold and uh, be committed to the mission God has for you. Thanks. Have a great weekend.